We are continuing our series on amazing grace. Amazing grace. And wasn't that amazing? Wasn't amazing grace at the end of worship amazing? (laughs) There's something about celebrating what God has done that just reminds you of the incredible beauty and wonder of who he is. So, Lord, I want to pray for each person here. As we continue with the series on Amazing Grace, Lord God, would you, would you set us apart for your work, Lord God? Would you establish in our hearts just the revelation of who Christ is in us, Lord God? Would you help us to walk into the fullness of what you've called us to do, Lord God? Father God, I pray that we'd be forever changed, that we would, we would see you as you really are. Father, I pray that you'd grace me to preach your word, your way, Lord God. I just pray for for great grace upon everyone to hear your word as it is, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Amazing grace, amazing grace. You know, in the Bible, well, we let me recap a little bit for you if you haven't been at the at the sermon. But um, we started this right at the beginning of the year. It was our first sermon series. We wanted to make a declaration of this year that this is a year of grace. This is a year that we make space for grace. 2020 is a year of making space for grace. That means organizing our lives around the expectation of God's grace. Organizing our, our lives around the expectation of his intervention. That we are not about this all on our own, that we're going to be excellent in what he's called us to do, but, but we're going to be excellent by his grace. We're going to appropriate his presence. We're going, to, we're going to live from his presence. We're going to live as people of his kingdom. And in so doing, we're not going to overburden our lives. We're not going to put things in that aren't supposed to be there. We're going to, we're going to, put, we're going to do exactly what he says, and we are going to allow his grace to be there, to, to fill in the gaps, to make things work, to take us into the victory that he's called us in. 2020 is a year of making space for grace, and it even rhymes. God is so good. Space for grace. But we, we started off in Romans 5 in the first week, and we, we talked about how God's abundant grace is with us, that you can never really get to the end of his grace, and that is a grace provides for us a gift of righteousness. He lived the life we should have lived, went before us living a life, and then actually just handed us that successful life and said, you want a successful life? Here it is. Live this. And then that as we, as we receive that gift of righteousness, it causes us to reign in life, to win in ways that we never thought imaginable, that to be more than we could have ever been without him. And then we went on and we looked at Hebrews 4, And we looked at his throne of grace, that place of grace, where we can come to receive all that we need in everyday life, where we can receive his love, his grace, his truth. And we said it's at that place that temptation and all the works of the enemy are destroyed. And we said at that place is where we where our prayers are empowered, where we begin, we begin to pray the prayers of heaven and we begin to see things change because of our declarations that are coming out of that place of intimacy with him, that space of grace that is his throne of grace. We come there and we receive what we need to be successful, to reign in life, to live from... And, and, and I, I guess, I don't know if I said this this week, but if I didn't, you can add it on to the podcast as you listen to it, is that, that you know, the, there's, there's never an end to his grace, but, but there's also, there's also a, a way in which when we, we live 
in that throne room, and that throne room becomes our daily experience. That it's not, not a case of just going to God, getting grace, getting this package of grace, um, and then kind of work, work, work until the grace is over, go back, get a bit more grace, you know, work, work, work until that grace is over. That we almost live plugged into him continuously, that there's this flow of grace that is happening on a daily basis, that we, we living empowered, that, that he's speaking to us and we're responding to that speaking. In our everyday life, he's talking to us as we engage in the world. He's empowering us as we go about our daily life. Living, living with that throne of grace right with us. His his governance and his, his um, presence with us 24-7. So we're going to move on from that. And I, I wanted to take some time to, to work out, you know, we've, we've talked about the big theme of grace. I, I wanted to mention this, which I think is so important, is that it is often in Christian circles, grace is lauded as this incredible thing, and it so is. But I often feel like it, it kind of takes the place of um, and a fourth person of the Trinity, you know, we, it's almost like we worship grace. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then there's grace, you know. But, but it's not like that. Gra- grace is nothing more than his presence with us. It's not this extra thing. It's, it's his attitude and his, his attitude towards us. Grace is God with you. Yes. That's what grace is, yes. ultimately. And it creates this environment that's, that's amazing. So when we're talking about grace, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to elevate some, some aspect of the kingdom in a way that makes you kind of make that your all. I'm, I'm asking you to elevate Jesus, and in so doing, you will live in that space of grace. So, amazing grace. I want, what I want to do, do today is I want, to, I want to make it a bit more practical. Is that Okay. So we've looked at these big, the, the kind of what is grace. We, we developed three definitions of grace that I'm going to use in this. But I, I'm, going to, I'm going to take it a little bit more practical. I'm going to say, so okay, so here's this incredible God with us understanding, this God empowering us, this God surrounding us with favor. What does that mean for the way I live? And in order to do that, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of theology. Are you okay with that? And, and it's like this, that the that Bible has many grand themes that go through all of the Bible. And any interpretation you, you have of any particular verse in the Bible must fit into one of those grand themes. You know what I'm saying? It's like, God, God, you can't just pull out verses and make them say what you want them to say. They must say what God always originally intended, and they must fit into the giant theme of the Bible. And there are a number of giant themes. The theologians call them meta-narratives that that follow the Bible, two of them are very pertinent to what we're talking about today. And that first one is one of relationship. You know, in Genesis, God came to walk with Adam. You know, from the beginning, his intention was clear, to be in relationship with mankind. Right Right at the beginning, beginning, he said, let us make man in our image. The, the plurality of that uh, kind of foreshadowed the understanding of the Trinity in that before God was a creator, he was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, he was in relationship with himself. That relationship is part and parcel of who God is. You cannot separate it from the nature of God. God values relationship. He pursues relationship. He, um, all of creation is set up to facilitate relationship between God and man. Yeah. So relationship 
is a giant theme of the Bible. Not only relationship between God and man, but then the corresponding relationships that man have with one another. Righteousness, holiness in the Bible is is seen as, a, is certainly in the New Testament, as some, an internal gift that is given to you, but it must work out in the spaces between us. I can see how you've been transformed by Jesus by the way you treat me or the way you treat your neighbors. Righteousness must be worked out in our relationships. Right. The other giant theme, another, there are more than these two, but only, I'm only going to focus on two. The other one is one of mission is that right at the beginning, before even man fell, God gave him a job. Yeah. Fill the earth and subdue it. That right from the beginning, there's this, there's this way that God was on mission to establish. He created the, this world and man was made to take the raw materials and make it into something great. They were, they were, or greater than it was. I mean, it was always in God's intention. I, I hate to say that creation was less than it could be, but it was, it was a starting point. It wasn't an end point. That it was meant to be a God-man collaboration to take these raw materials of creation and create something more. Yes. And that this mission to, to have the glory and majesty of God proclaimed throughout the world, proclaimed in all of creation, is one of his giant themes. Obviously, Adam fell, messed it up, Jesus, ultimately, after many other, uh, other opportunities of mankind and we failed all along the way, Jesus picked it up and took that, that mission forward and, and gave it to us in this form. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end. Handed us that, re reiterated, God is on mission. God is moving. He's doing something. He's doing something. Now, what is so interesting to me is psychologists and psychiatrists um, who don't know Jesus are finding that the Bible is true. Yeah. It's amazing. So the latest findings in psychology and psychiatry confirm these great narratives of the Bible. Did you know that the, the, they are discovering that um, depression, anxiety, and many forms of mental illness are solved primarily by people coming into loving relationships and are solved almost entirely when from those loving relationships they find significant work to do. It's like, it's like when they are in relationship and they have a mission, it's like human beings, okay, that's right, everything's right. Now, now It's like your heart can, can come back. It's like if you're not in relationship, if you're not in loving relationship, something's broken. Yeah. If, you, if you don't have purpose, something's broken. And ultimately, the grace of God comes to set all that right. And part of us being in church and being in the kingdom is that God is taking those truths and reworking them in our lives. Because, because the world tells you, you you can go and do it by yourself. There's this independence, individualism that, that talks about, I can live out my, my life and my worth independent of others. It's not true. It will never happen. And it will just lead to anxiety, depression, addictions. I'm hearing things from the front. Yes. Without these two giant themes brought into revelation and brought into actualization through God's grace, we will always be less than we were meant to be. 
So I want to start by going to a particular statement. Did you change it at the back there? That was so great. I thought God is a miraculous working God. He just knew my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I want to start with this premise that we were made for community and coffee, as you can see from that. I feel like we are made for community and tea, but nonetheless, my husband feels it's coffee, but I, so I'll give him this. Just, just this moment. But we were made for community. And I want to um, share this particular scripture with you. It's a very famous scripture, but I feel like it sets the tone for where we're going. I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's only three verses, but here we go. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now we get the gist of the, the, the psalm that, gosh, God likes us together. Yeah. But we can, can miss some of the detail because we don't know the geography of Israel. So um, Mount Hermon was in the north of Israel, and it was a very beautiful mountain. It constantly had either mist or clouds and rain upon it. It was very moist and fertile in the north of Israel and was considered a beautiful, fertile place. Mount Zion, which was where Jerusalem was built, at the time that the psalm was written, the temple wasn't built. David wrote the psalm, and he had brought the, the Ark of the Covenant there onto that mountain, and he'd established a tent over it, and he had, he had instituted what God had said, that worship would happen in Jerusalem. Worship to God, that would be the center of worship. Of course, they would worship God all over, but there would be three times that they would all come to Jerusalem, and they would have their feast, and they would worship God. It would be the center of worship to Yahweh in Israel, in Jerusalem, on Mount, on Mount Zion. So here we have the, the psalmist David is kind of showing us two very different beautiful things. He's saying there's this mountain in the north of, of Israel that has rain and beauty, but it doesn't have worship. It doesn't have the Ark of the Covenant. And now there's this mountain in Jerusalem that if you've been to Jerusalem, it's very dry and barren around there. And so you've got this mountain that's got the Ark of the Covenant and worship towards God, but it doesn't have the fertility and the moisture and the beauty of Mount Hermon. And he's, he's saying, when we dwell together, it's like those two mountains come together. Yeah. It's like you get the best of both worlds. And, and by implication, when all of us come together, we get the best of all of our worlds. My, my strengths... Uh, complement your weaknesses. Your weaknesses, your strengths complement my weaknesses. That together we make a whole. Together we present the whole picture of who God is, all the blessings of the kingdom. And one of those mountains without the other mountain would be deficient. You, without a community, would be deficient. Living in community means that all of us, all of us together present something glorious to the world and in worship to God. And we are productive and fruitful. So I guess the premise of what I want to tell you today is that you were designed for a community of love. Mm -hmm. You were made for God's community of love. And grace, his empowering presence with you, enables you to live there well. 
How many of you know that you need grace to live in community? I mean, come now. I mean, every married person in this room understands you need grace to live in relationship. Every, every non-married person here who has a brother or a sister knows you need grace to live in community. If you've ever had a friend, you know you need grace to live in community. And if you haven't had a friend, we will pray for you right after. Join a connect group. Make a friend. But you know we need grace. We need grace for a relationship. We need grace to live in community. And I want to take some time to examine our three definitions of grace and work out how that works out in community, how it helps us to live in this community of love. So the first definition we gave, or we didn't give them in this order, but the first that I want to use is um, grace is God's unmerited favor towards us that we don't deserve and didn't work for. Even when I say it, I feel almost guilty. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, God's going to give me stuff I didn't work for. I mean, I grew up in a place where you only got exactly for what you worked for and then sometimes a little bit less. But, you know, that we would live in a world that God would give us what we don't deserve and we didn't work for. There's a lovely scripture in the Old Testament that says this. It says in Psalm 5, verse 12, For you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as a shield. It just gives me the impression of wherever we go, there's like, it's like favor walks into the room before, we, before us. It's like people you don't like and don't like you are compelled to like you because of Christ's presence in you. I mean, it's wild. It's wild that it could be like that. How many times do people in this congregation come to me? Honestly, I must hear it at least once a month. Someone coming to me and saying this. You know what? There was this job going. I didn't qualify. I didn't have the right qualifications, but I applied anyway, and I got it. It's amazing. I mean, what is this? This is the favor of God. Look, you know, I look at Andrew every, every day, and I think, oh, my gosh. I got more than I deserve. Whoa. <laughs> uh, darling, that's at least one dinner out. That's at least one dinner out. Maybe two dinners. Okay. <laughs> Just giving you some marriage examples right here. Go home and do that with your spouse. It'll work. Where was I? Favor like a shield. You know, this favor that God gives, gives us, it would be tempting to say, it would be tempting to say, okay, well, that means I could just live how I want and God's going to bless me anyway. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that when God is with us, we carry an excellent spirit. So that when we walk into the room, people are like compelled to bless us because there's something about you that is just different. And that's, that's the favor of God because of his grace on you. Because we carry an excellence by virtue of God's presence in us, leading us, guiding us, showing us how to talk, how to act, how to love, how to be. You bless us, O Lord, with favor like a shield. Another scripture that really speaks to me, not so much about what God does for us as individuals, but how he works that out in community. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 gives us this instruction. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Yeah. I love this. 
because it works really great for us in that people looking at us are now seeing a new, well, they, they are, are instructed to not regard us according to our old ways, but to see what God has done in us. But also for us, towards other people, it's an instruction of how I am meant to look at Musa, how, of how I'm meant to look at Christo. I mean, these, these two are super easy, but may, maybe um, how you are meant to look at that grumpy person at work. Instead of seeing a grumpy, irritating person who doesn't do their work, God's asking you to say, what, what would that person be like in Jesus Christ? Who is that person if God gets a hold of them? And how could I regard that person no longer as how they are in the flesh, but how God sees them? How would that change the way I reacted to them? How would that change the way I reached out to them? How would that change the way I interacted with them? It would change everything. In, in Christian circles, of course, this is even more powerful. It means that as we are in community, I'm no longer um, thinking about Teddy as being uh, someone who has no money, which was a long time ago. I'm looking at someone who's, who's like uh, appropriating the wealth and the glory of the kingdom. Is that I'm, I'm seeing beyond the natural circumstances to who this person is in God. And that's, that's how I'm relating to them. And that's what I'm calling up and out of them. Unmerited favor is one of the definitions. If, if we could summarize that definition of grace as unmerited favor. I, I receive unmerited favor from God and I give unmerited favor to the people around me. Treat them better than they deserve. Grace. Another definition is the way we live in the environment of holiness. Remember I said a couple of weeks back that holiness is dangerous to unrighteous human beings. They're destroyed in God's holiness. And the way God brings unrighteous human beings into his presence is that he covers us with grace. He gives us a heaven suit, which is Jesus Christ. We come into God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are, we are trained by his presence in us how to live in holiness, how to be in an atmosphere of holiness, how to live out godly values. How, how to be everything we are meant to be in God. It's his grace that trains us for that holiness. Um, helps us to live in that environment. And this holiness, if I, if I could give a practical word for this kind of a holiness that grace creates in us, if I want to just talk about everyday English words, it creates personal wholeness. Like in your life, God's grace is there to fix stuff. I want to go to this particular scripture. Before I do, I'd like you to look at that picture and see what grace does for your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. You'll never need a dentist again. I love that picture, but man, those teeth. I mean, it's always like, do you think they photoshopped them? But Hebrews 12, 14 makes the statement, which I love. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness, holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I know it's an ouchie, 
scripture, but it's there in the Bible, so we need it. It says, strive for peace with everyone. You know, peace, I've said this many times, I'm going to reiterate it. Peace, when the Bible talks about peace, it's not just talking about that you didn't fight with your husband or you didn't fight with the petrol attendant or the taxi driver who cut you off. It means that you live in a state of personal wholeness in relationship to other people. Therefore, your relationships with them are founded on truth and righteousness and goodness. And that you live in relationship with your society in such a way that you are bringing justice and righteousness into that society. And that you physically are prosperous in mind and body. That's, that's the, the way they looked at peace. It was a personal thing, it was a relational thing, and it was a societal thing. And so when he's saying live at peace with everyone, it's like he's almost calling you up to a place of personal wholeness that impacts relationships. It says out of this personal wholeness, wholeness I'm going to live in good relationship with people. And if I want to be even more practical... I'm going to say, grace teaches you how to become excellent at friendships. I mean, friendship seems like such a mundane thing, but it's probably one of the most important skills you will ever learn in the kingdom. Just learning how to reach out a hand, shake a hand and say, hi, I'm Carol. I know him, he's my son, so I didn't need to get something back. But, but it, it's, about, it's about reaching new people with a relational invitation to say, come with me and walk a path to Jesus. It's about forming friendships, about being good at being a friend. This scripture in Hebrews, I just kind of took the middle portion and I want to go a bit before it and a bit afterwards because it will kind of unpack this personal wholeness a little bit more. Before that, it says this, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Many years ago, we were were in Namibia. And we had just arrived in Namibia. We'd sold all our stuff to, to make the trip. And so we didn't have much. We had no lounge furniture, so we were using garden chairs in the lounge. And I was so dying that we would get a lounge, fur- lounge suite. You, you understand. I mean, that's just normal to have lounge chairs in your lounge. So we went to this particular um, show that was showcasing different things that you could buy. And they had these magnificent lounge suites on display and I looked at this one lounge suite and absolutely fell in love with it. Andrew also quite liked it. So we just, we just, I loved this lounge suite. It was like, you know, from then on, no lounge suite ever came up to that. You know, I could never again see another lounge suite. It was like once you've fallen in love, everything else fades into the background. So I'd fallen in love with this lounge suite. We asked the price and it was way above what we could afford afford so we we couldn't get it and no matter how much we did the numbers we couldn't get it so we persevered with our garden furniture one day Andrew's out and he gives me a phone call and he says darling there's a surprise on the way I am so excited you know in my heart I'm thinking he's found the lounge suite and he's bought it you know I'm just like yes yes so this truck this delivery truck pulls up outside 
And they say they've got a delivery. I'm so excited. Open the door. They come in with lounge furniture covered. And I'm getting It looks a bit different, but I'm still I'm in faith. I'm in faith. You know, the shape looks a bit different. So they bring it into the lounge, put it down, whip off the covers. Guys. It was a lounge suite. But I have never, honestly, in the history of human existence, there has never, ever, ever been as ugly a lounge suite as that one. I mean, no, no, really, really, guys. You know, it's like, I, when I looked at it, I thought, whoever made this, it was a joke and no one's got it. I mean, it's just like no one could sit on this lounge suite and actually be a normal human being. You know, it would just wreck you for life. So, I mean, literally, it was like this dark pinky purple color with gold stripes, shiny gold stripes, and then um, like these green paisley swirls in between. I mean, guys, no, it was just, it was just something you just don't, you don't want to see it. I'm, I'm pleased you never have to see it. And, you know, I'm looking, I mean, for a moment before, my heart is just in love with my husband, and now I'm like, What? What? Spent all this money, all the money we could have saved up for my lounge suite is spent on this. And I'm like, and there's like two hours before he comes home or whatever. And you know, at, in those two hours, every disappointment I'd ever had in life, every person that had ever let me down, I mean, it came flooding into my mind. And it, it made me put on these glasses with gr deep cracks in them. You know, all the disappointments I'd ever seen had, and I was looking at Andrew through those glasses. You know, it was like, it was like the words were coming to my mind. <laughs> Thoughts were coming to my mind. By the time he, he arrived home, I had the divorce papers in my pocket. I mean, I was like, whoever would think that I would like this lounge suite. Whoever would buy me this lounge suite, I cannot be married to that person. <laughs> cannot. It has a happy ending, guys, because clearly we're still married. <laughs> Andrew walks into the house, he turns the, and he, he first, he's expecting a vibrant wife. He's getting this woman who's thunder on her face. You know, a wife can get thunder on her face. You know, I had thunder on my face. He's walking, he's walking in, and he's like, darling, did you get the surprise? And you can, I can see his joy ebbing. He turns the corner, goes into the lounge, and stops dead. And to my great relief, I says the statement, they delivered the wrong lounge suite. <laughs> And it was my lunch suite. So they took it away and brought the real one. And it was. I mean, what a great husband. What a great husband. <laughs> but, but the point of this is for two hours, for two hours, I, I mean, I, I was destroying Andrew in every way possible. You know, you, but you know what I'm talking about. For two hours, I put on a pair of glasses that distorted everything. And, you know, I feel like part of what grace does is grace, which I clearly did not tap into at that moment. What grace comes and, and does is God's presence with us deals with our cracked glasses, deals with the disappointments, the wounds of the past, so that when we face the trials and tribulations of life, we're not looking at it through those lenses. 
We're not bringing the baggage of all the past, which means when you sit in a connect group with someone and they remind you of your mother who, you know, just abandoned you or made you do your homework when you didn't want to, you know, you can, you can look at that person and smile and love them and not hear them as, as something that they're not. When you're reaching out to that, that colleague at work, you can, you can see them through clear perspectives. One of the most important things that grace does in our walk towards personal wholeness is that it helps you to deal with your past. Yeah. It helps you to reevaluate your past. It heals you. That scripture in Hebrews goes on and it, it becomes a little bit more ouchy. Are you ready for this? It says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It's like you can miss the grace of God. Have you ever thought of that? The grace of God can literally be, be here to bless you, and you completely miss it. And the Bible's clear about how you miss it. It's that this root of bitterness grows up in your heart. You know what I'm talking about. I have a picture of an apple with a bite out of it, but how many of you have looked at a juicy, beautiful apple? It's just perfect in, in all its ways. There's a song there. That's, but it's just, it's just right. You know, right color, no blemishes, and you've bitten into it expecting something wonderful, but as you bite into it, it's all black on the inside. Have you had that? Yeah. And it certainly doesn't look, live up to what its externals was telling you. This is what bitterness does. You can keep everything right. Bitterness and unforgiveness. You can keep everything right on the outside. But if you allow bitterness and unforgiveness to dwell in your heart, it's, you just start rotting from the inside out. And when people come and taste of your life, no matter how great it is looking on the outside, it just, when they bite in, it's just, it's not great. It's not great. And all of you have been around people who, you know, who have been bitter about something, and it's like, after a while, hanging with them, that bitterness kind of gets on you. It's like you start seeing things negatively and yeah. kind of clouds your, your ability to enjoy life. Grace does a beautiful thing. In dealing with your past, it helps you to forgive. And it helps you not only to forgive, but to forgive quickly. Yeah. To forgive quickly. The last definition of grace we looked at is the indwelling presence of God empowering us to do what we could not do without him. For me, this is just like the cherry on the top. This is just, this is the place I want to live. Yeah. I want to live in this. With God's, God's empowering presence around me, helping me to do things, empowering me to do things that I could never do before. I mean, how many of you have dreams that are bigger than your own ability? If you don't get one, that's like one of the ways you make space for grace. It's like, God, help me to believe bigger than I can do on my own. Because if you only, can do, only do what you can do, you only get what you can do. But God, God has more than that for us. And there is this aspect of grace, which is his empowering presence with us. And as we live out in community, 
what that means is that we become empowering people. What does that mean? It means, again, I'm sitting in my connect group and, and my friend over here tells me, you know what, I've been given this job and I just don't think I can do it. And I hold her by the hand and I say, remember who you are. Remember who is with you. God is going to give you wisdom beyond your years and experience. Let's pray. Let's trust together. There's, a, there's an element of me, me appropriating God's empowerment and giving it away. It's a way of us looking and seeing who this person really is and then, then trusting with them for things that are bigger than they can accomplish. God's empowering presence is about the gifts of the Spirit. It means that when I'm in my connect group, I'm not just giving advice. I'm actually praying and hearing from God about who this person is and, and saying that. If you would if do that, you'd be prophesying. You wouldn't even know it, but that's what it would be. It means when I'm in environments at work or in my family with people who don't know Jesus that I'm trusting God for miracles. They come and tell me about how they can't get a job. I'm not going to just sit back. I'm going to say, Jesus has a plan. Give me your hand. Let's pray. There's a miracle for you. I'm trusting God for opportunities to, to share Jesus with them. And I, through that, empower, receiving the empowerment of God and giving the empowerment of God. Titus 2, 11 and 12 kind of represents this, and it talks about a kind of life we live in grace. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, which means there is no one in your environment which is beyond God's grace. For all people, everyone in your environment has a chance to get saved, right. and you might be the vehicle that brings that. Yeah training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, there's, there's a God with you that is helping you say no to all that rubbish and yes to everything that he is. And at the same time, you are walking with people and giving them that same grace. Your lifestyle, your example, your words are helping them to say no to the rubbish of, of their environments and yes to the Jesus of their environments. So in conclusion, you were made for God's community of love. Grace enables you to yeah. live there well. Good word. Yes. You were made for God's community of love. Grace enables you to live there well. Amen.